square fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. This old coon hunter Steve Fielder made it, was able to sit up and take nourishment this morning, and I've had a busy day, and now it is evening and time to kick back for some dog talk at its finest. And I guarantee you we're going to have a good conversation today because in the house is Mr. Corey Groover from Greenville, Pennsylvania. Correct? Yes, sir. Howdy, Steve. (laughs) Hey, Corey. What's up, brother? Not a whole lot. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, man. I I was looking on our uh, schedule back back it's been about almost has it been a year since we were on together hadn't oh been that God. long has it i don't think it's been it doesn't feel like it's been seemed that long to me anyway. like it was like in june yeah well you know we, that's almost the year yeah pretty much i mean the <laughs> you know the days just rush by anymore it's it's crazy tell me about it tell me about it well uh, i was reviewing some stats this week Okay. And uh, looking back over the episodes that did the best, and yours was right up there, well above average. Oh, wow. Uh, up prob- in the upper tier in numbers of downloads. So, you know, it's That's all about I, the money, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's something I never heard in high school. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Oh man! Anybody thinks that they can make a living doing this, <laughs> they're sorely mistaken. Oh man! If you don't love it, you might as well try something else. Yeah, but no. But uh, real encouraged this week. Had a great conversation with the the man that pays the bills, Buddy Woodbury out at W Hunting Supply. Buddy's a guy that's got his heart in the right place. I tell you, when it comes to hound hunting has done a lot really on the legislative scene out in the West and with uh, some of the big game hunting organizations and all their uh, focus, I guess from the start was heavily into big game hunting because of their location. You know, he's, he's out in Washington state and Jason Doobie uh, that works for him and all is in Oregon so those guys are out on on the left coast, so to speak. But uh, Buddy's a great guy, and he uh, he uh, has really got. He loves his podcasting thing, and wants to see it go forward. And uh, of course, they pump me up. I think they're just trying to uh, convince me, you know, that the podcast is doing better than it is, but. Uh, from all indications, it's doing very, very well, and I'm very gratified by that, Corey. Well, uh, I you gotta, can't. You got to keep the cash cow wed, well fed, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I enjoy doing this, and you know, you and I probably wouldn't be sitting here looking at each other on a on a laptop screen if if it weren't for this and. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it, it's been a unique uh, addition to 
a long time resume <laughs> mm-hmm. that goes all the way back to the hills of southern West Virginia, serving as a secretary in a coon club <laughs> when I was a teenager and going to the club meetings and listening to all the old guys gripe and complain about how I spent the money. Uh, (laughs) and which they were the same ones that were sitting there grumbling when I was dragging the drag for the field trial and cranking the cage across the pond for the water race and and selling the soda. One man band. And ordering the trophies. That was a trip, man, back in the day. You have to go to somebody like Boatman. Bill Boatman or company, and they sold these packages of trophies. Yeah, you could get what first through tenth place, a night champion and a grand night champion for X number of dollars, and oh then you gosh. could get a a bench show arrangement, best male, best female show, uh, champion male, or champion. Back in those days, there were no division between the sexes in champion shows. Yeah. Anyway. It I'll was, tell you what, that's one of my favorite things to look at as far as historical documents is I love looking at if I can find an advertisement for an old event at a coon club. Um, I just recently started to uh, go through the archives of my own personal coon club here in Greenville, and uh, I found an advertisement uh had to have been from the early 1960s or something like that but you know pretty pretty standard uh standard coonhound event mm-hmm. advertisement you know we ran mule shows in conjunction with a lot of our events back in in those days and i always get a kick out of uh the extracurricular activities that went on at those events you know some of the, some of the stuff they just did to engage the people that were there yeah um, you know, one, one contest that they had, uh, was a tobacco spitting contest. If you can do it. They had a oh, yeah. tobacco spitting contest. They had a greased pig. Somebody would bring a greased <laughs> pig and <laughs> make the kids go catch it, you know? <laughs> oh man. Oh, yeah. Well, that was it. You know, when you had an event at your coon club, it was all day, all day deal. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, it's really changed. Of course, we get everything now on the internet. We just dial up the the UKC site and go to a Coonhound events and click in the state or the date, and boom, all the info's there. Yeah, it's something. Back in yeah, back in the day, and I've kind of talked about this before, I think, but there was a requirement that a club that was going to hold a licensed event had to advertise in the Coonhound magazine the month preceding the event. No kidding. So if you had a March event, you had to be in the February issue of one of the three magazines, American Cooner, Full Cry, or Coonhound Bloodlines. And that was one of the things I've talked about before, and I'll try to skip over that, but that was one of the things that I really was convinced that we needed to do when I went to UKC was provide all that information in our magazine, Coontown Bloodlines, and give folks a reason to take the magazine because we we had a tenth of the subscribers that 
Cooner did or Fulcry did back in 1983. Right. So, but that was, but it, to look back, you would get your magazine, and usually American Cooner had most of those ads. It's always kind of been the Competition Hunters magazine. You know, they would run the picture of the ACHA World Hunt winner, which at that day was the only world hunt, really. Okay. Uh, in the November issue, the hunt would take place in October. They'd run it in the November issue on the cover. So you'd know who the world champion was and all. But when we get that magazine, you look through there, and the clubs would take out a quarter-page ad. Almost all of them would do a quarter-page. And it would say something like, UKC license, wild coon hunt. <laughs> and it would say entry fee would be typically something like 10 bucks. Sure. Maybe five bucks. Uh, and then a bench show at two o'clock, night hunt entries. And it always had that no alcoholic beverages or unprescribed drugs. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that sort of thing. And that was about it, you know, unless they added, like you said, those events. Now, in Texas, when I first started going out there, I learned the term event. 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 If you had an event dog, that meant you were in the coon on the log Coon in a cage, coon in a hole, all these kind of things that we'd all go to jail for doing today. (laughs) But but they had all kinds of events throughout the day that you could. And then the clubs kind of continued that where they're able with the rolling cage events and things like that down through the years. But, yeah. That was the thing, and you kind of went to the index in the back, and I knew I could go. I could persuade my dad to go to eastern Ohio or western Virginia or West Virginia uh, before I could drive. Um, You know, Dad, I'd have to do some some, uh, campaigning to get him to permit or to drive three hours to a hunt. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm there with you on that. I had to do a lot of that. Uh, (laughs) I learned a lot about politics, you know, from doing that, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah. My wife says it was funny when her sisters always wonder, how do you get to do all the stuff that we don't get to do? She was younger than them. Yeah. And she said, well, you just don't do it right, you know. Well, hey, since you brought up um, West Virginia, uh, did I ever tell you the story about uh, the time that I, I was I was probably 16 or 17, the time that I went, I left Pennsylvania to go to a hunt in Ohio and I ended up in West Virginia? <laughs> okay. So um, when I was a kid... Um, there was a, uh, I, I'm, I believe this club still, you know, is in existence and thriving and everything like that, but Caddis, Ohio. Oh yeah. C-A-D-I-Z. Caddis, Ohio. No, well, I used to live up near there. That's okay. where, uh, right. my black and tan buddy 
Oh the, yeah, the elder. Well, gentleman. they used they. I don't know if they do it now or not, but they used to have a really big black and tan sectional there, and uh, <laughs> and they would also have an RQE event every year. So one one year, I convinced my dad uh, to let me drive down solo to the RQE down there, and it it was just a pinch over two and a half hours from the house. You know, it was a, it was a pretty substantial drive for for a kid my age. And, um, you know, I drove down to the club, I got my dog entered and everything like that. And we went hunting. And, um, later that night I came back to the clubhouse, you know, ate breakfast and then I got on the road and, uh, and you know, this was, this was a little bit before, you know, advanced GPS and stuff like that, you know, and I'm driving, <laughs> driving along and all of a sudden I see signs that say, welcome to West Virginia. And it's like, three or four in the morning and I'm exhausted, you know, so I'm just looking blurry eyed at the sign. Like how the heck did I get to West Virginia? <laughs> you must've gone through the panhandle there. So yes, who sir. Was, uh, I'm good. I hate myself right now. Who was the elder gentleman that lived in Katie's or Caddis, uh, there, uh, hunted black and tans. Oh man. You're going to make he me may have passed on before, one. before your time. You may have heard me misspeak right there and call it Katie's. That's what they call it you're, in Kentucky. You're not, talk, you're not talking about Ron Stein, are you? Nope. nope okay, not no, Ron no, Stein. No, he was from no, Southern Ohio. No, this is an older gentleman, and his name's going to come to me as soon as this recording is over. <laughs> and I maybe I'll think about it before we go, but he was around all the hunts. And I'll see, I lived at, at St. Clairsville in cold rain, Ohio, on okay. Route 250, just south of Caddis. There's oh. Tappan Lake is over there at Caddis, Ohio. Okay. Good hunting around there. I'll think of his name in a minute. But <laughs> but then when I went to PKC with the World Hunt down there, we would send, uh, there's a town spelled the same way, C-A-D-I-Z, and they pronounce it K-D's. No kidding. Yeah. yeah That's so. interesting. And that is your geography lesson for today, boys and girls. Okay, so now that we now that we've got our geography lesson out of the way, Steve, the whole reason that I came on the podcast today was I am I paid you a lot of money. Well, that aside, (laughs) I'm really excited to hear about your trip to Winter Classic. I want to I want a real brief synopsis on. Mm specifically your chance to judge the top mm. 10 bench show at yeah. winter classic. I, yeah. um, that's something that I've had the privilege of doing in the past here. And that's something that you got asked to do this year. Let's hear about it. Let's hear about your trip and give me, give me, give me the bullet points here. Okay. Can I give you a very short synopsis? Yeah, go ahead. The Winter Classic started in 1988 in Albany, Georgia, because we wanted to have a presence in the southeast. We were on nine airplanes in two days, Fred Miller and I, and we settled on Albany, Georgia. And it was held there for many years. And then after I left UKC, it was moved to Batesville, uh, Mississippi. All right. I was, in fact, invited this year to participate in the top 10 judging. Uh, Apparently, UKC keeps a standing all year long of the top 10 dogs, show dogs, 
of each breed. And you probably know more about that than I do, Corey, because I was not involved in anything like that when I was at UKC. Sure. Uh, we were very much involved in bench shows and I held the first UKC World Championship show in 1985. But, um, yeah. Well, if, I, if anybody's not ahead, familiar with uh, the UKC Top 10 program, yeah. a very brief way of breakdown of how it works. Dogs compete annually throughout the, you know, for the the entirety of the year. Um, and they compete at local bench shows. They compete at national bench shows. And uh, they are, the during this time period, um, as they are winning their categories, they are accruing points based on the total number of entries in the particular class that they won. Um, so, you know, the, the total number of champion males that were entered in a class or champion females or what have you. Uh, those points are then tabulated. They're put into a running list that, that's updated by UKC. And uh, they list the top 10 dogs of each breed that are out there competing uh, throughout the year. And then those dogs, at the end of the year, once the list is finalized, uh, they receive an invitation to come and compete in Batesville at uh, what they call the top 10 bench show championship, whatever the official mm -hmm. title of it is. And uh, there's some pretty substantial cash prizes up, up for grabs for these dogs. Uh, looks mm -hmm. like are i don't want to steal your thunder here but no, no, go the, ahead. overall winner took home three thousand dollars absolutely each breed winner took home uh two thousand dollars on top yeah. of that yeah yeah so that was like six dogs that took home two thousand each and one dog that took home three thousand so that's yeah. pretty salty yeah oh, heck well yeah. you know i when when uh, I was contacted by the good folks in the hunting ops department, Alan Gingrich and Trevor Wade, a uh, department that you used to work in, and and I did too, uh, a few years before you did. Um, I uh, I knew enough about it to know that I should be honored mm -hmm. to have been asked, and I was. I right. uh, and it didn't take me. Uh, I didn't stutter too much when I agreed to to accept <laughs> the assignment because I knew it was number one. I knew it was going to be fun. Oh yeah, and it was. It was a lot of fun. But what I didn't expect was the magnitude of the significance of the breed individual breeds and just how much they have impacted the sport of coon hunting and just how much they have impacted my life personally. Uh, maybe I'll save that just for a minute because I want to kind of tell you some surprises that I have. <laughs> so, so um, to flesh this out a little bit for our audience, um, when UKC puts on the top 10 bench show at the UKC winter classic, it's judged by a panel of three judges, which is unique yes. 
to compared to other bench shows, even the even the actual Winter Classic event that's going on throughout the weekend. So, who did you serve on a panel with this year? It was Steve okay. Fielder and uh, Amber Carroll. Amber Carroll. And I knew her when she was a kid as Amber Bradford. Yeah. And watched her kind of come up through the black uh, and tan lady. And so forth. Correct. Yep. With some really nice dogs down through the years. And also with Scarlett Overton, another person that I had observed in the shows back in my day of sitting behind the desk and and calling the entries at the shows and so forth. So I knew I would be working with some very capable uh, confirmation authorities. Oh, yeah. Uh, Very accomplished handlers in their own right, yeah. Accomplished handlers, professionals in every way. Um, So I I was excited about that. I knew I was going to be the thorn between two roses. <laughs> and and it, hillbilly it, between two southern bells. <laughs> southern bells, that's right. Because, oh. uh, well, they both these ladies, I think, were originally from Alabama. Uh, yeah. Scarlett lives in Mississippi now. And, uh, and Amber lives in Oklahoma. So, you know, but they're, they're Southern bells, of course, but, absolutely. but no, yeah. I, and I was excited about that to, to know that I'd be working with them. I have down through the years experienced panel judging in a lot of different ways. And I really didn't understand how this one, this show was going to go until I got there and and kind of walk through the layouts and and all that. Do you want me to describe that, or do you want to take the ball and uh, and talk about how the show is set up? No, let, let's let's hear you describe it. I, I think it's more appropriate okay. coming from the person who was there judging. Well, uh, yeah. It, number one, beautiful venue. The Civic Center in Batesville. I really like the way they had it set up this year. They went to a different setup. They, as I recall, when I was there before, they had the show arena set up on the west end of the arena, mm-hmm. or maybe that's the south end. Let me get this straight. Maybe that's the south end. Of the hang on, arena. hang on, everybody. Steve's pulling out his compass. <laughs> <laughs> I love geography and people, yeah. you know, but anyway, I'm I'm going to skip back to what I was going to tell you because it's apropos right here at this okay. point. When we had our little briefing before the show with Alan in a room behind closed doors, just the judges and Alan. And he said, okay, there's three rings. And you're each going to judge all the dogs, all the top, the win. I don't know how many actually showed up. I didn't get that number. But the maximum entry would have been 70 dogs, Correct. 10 from each of seven breeds. Right. So each one of us, the three judges, would judge all the dogs. 
individually. And he says, well, there's ring one, two, and three. And he says, Steve, I'm going to put you in ring number one because you're going to be the slowest. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, now, my. normally I would be highly offended at that remark. <laughs> no, it is what it is, folks. 77 trips around the sun kind of slows things down for you. But, but no, uh, Basically, uh, I was talking about the arena. What they did this year is they set the arena uh, uh, right center of uh, the show part was right in the center of the arena facing the main entrance. So as you came in the big doors to come into the building and go down the stairs, down through all the seating onto the arena floor, the UKC stage, the main stage and everything was right in the center, right? You would be staring right at it as you walk in. They had the, most of the vendors were to the right and uh, some scattered around the other way. And they had the, the crating area and all that was facing the stage. A very large arena But for this show, they divided that arena into three equal parts. They had a nice, it's almost like a tunnel that the dogs came through as they were, you know, one at a time. Each dog was, you know, I had the uh, levity, I guess you would say, or whatever the uh, privilege of setting up my gating patterns and all any way that I wanted. The bench, the way they had them set up were fine with me. I chose to gate my dogs diagonally across the ring because it gave them a, a longer uh, uh, a longer gate than they would normally have had just going down one or the other side. Yeah, it gives you plenty of time to see what you're working with. Yeah. So basically, I would have them come in, come to my corner, which was a sharp left. As soon as they came right in, I would observe the dogs on the ground. I would ask them to please gate the dog down diagonally to the opposite corner and back to me. I'd give them another peek and then ask them to take the dog completely around the parameter of the ring. And that allows me to walk down and observe the dog from all going away. Um, you know, uh, a, a side view, if you will, and whatever. Yeah. And then, so I guess as it turned out, I probably was a little slower than the others, but not much. And it went relatively fast. Well, and, you don't, you don't realize how long it can take to put your hands on 70 coon hounds. Yeah. I mean, especially, especially when you're, when you're trying to, when you're trying to narrow down the field, so yeah. to speak. Well, 70 coon hounds times three, <laughs> you know, yeah. because each one of those coon hounds had to go through three rings. Yeah. yeah. It was a three ring circus. Yeah. <laughs> No, seriously, it was very, all those handlers were so prepared. Yeah. And I, w- I was just really impressed by the young people that were handling dogs. Oh, that's Man, great. these kids are good. 
I mean, they're just as good as the adults. Absolutely. And, and they just have a way with the, with the dogs. Each one of the dogs, we had one dog, and I don't know what, it kind of got a bee under its bonnet and didn't want to be touched. Yeah. But it was just unusual. <clears throat> but other than that, these dogs were all immaculately groomed. They were, and this is what I didn't expect. I did not expect to have this overwhelming feeling of appreciation and a, a golf ball sized lump in my throat when I put my hands on some of these dogs. They're magnificent. Oh, my God. You know, if you're a hound person, you know, well, to a lot of people, it's just a hound dog, you know. Oh, you're into hound dogs. These dogs are amazing. And, of course, you know, these are the cream de la cream, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, I think think that bench shows and people who participate in bench shows often – get a lot of flack, Um, you know, especially if they are a person that doesn't necessarily compete in night hunts all the time. But, you know, what we have to remember is, is that these, these people who are competing on a national level and producing these magnificent dogs, they are, they are the product engineers of our sport. Um, They're ensuring that we have, um, you know, functionally correct, breeding stock to go to if we need it yeah you look at the dogs that came to the top in this show and they're the product of extensive breeding programs yes i mean you know they didn't go on ebay and say you know pick a puppy you know these dogs are bred for the ring and they're amazing yeah uh, and, and, uh, now, I, there's so many things that, that come to mind about that show to me, number one, the, um, the ambiance, the, the, the venue, the, all of that was absolutely top drawer worthy of the, of the work that these people had put in, you know, UKC had provide, had catered in food that was available there for the exhibitors. I don't and think anybody, I got food. I'm just saying. <laughs> anybody else that wanted to participate. And uh, so, you know, it was just a top drawer thing all the way around. Great. But I, I, some little observations that I had, uh, the dogs were very well prepared, of course. They were immaculately groomed. They were almost to a dog. Very good to excellent specimens of their breeds. Uh, you know, the old days of the Kunal Ben shows when a guy wrapped about three turns of a dog chain around him and pulled old blue like a Tonka toy into the arena and <laughs> set him up on the bench are long, long gone in this. I'd world. say so, yeah. And, of course, I went to AKC, and I worked with AKC, and I was the guy that had to go to Madison Square Garden and conduct uh, seminars to train AKC's judges on these 
coonhound breeds as they were coming in. So I know that world, and, I, and I, I've seen beautiful dogs all my life. Mm-hmm. But I just, I guess what I'm saying is I really wasn't prepared for the emotional uh, buzz that I got on yeah. uh, in doing this. Uh, it wasn't all about, I got totally lost in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've judged shows in the past at a higher level, and I thought, well, now, you know, I got to conduct myself just so and so, and I got to make this look really good. And of course, I want the best dog, but all that stuff was going on in the background. Not this time. This time, I just totally zoned out on the dogs. Yeah, I just, I just really had a ball. Well, and uh, and if I can, and if I can make a point to to your point, um, you know, I was fortunate enough that I had the opportunity to to judge the same event, um, several years ago. And I made the trip down to Batesville and, um, you know, uh, participated with a panel of judges. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it didn't really hit me what I was doing until that spotlight hit when they were, when they were showcasing each of the individual dogs and, and kind of giving them their moment you know, in, in the spotlight and they, they hit all the lights in that place and that spotlight come out. I'll tell you what, I was fixing to pass out. I mean, it was, it was (laughs) that, that experience that you're talking about, about zoning out and focusing on the dogs and giving them their due. And it, it, you know, to Mm. someone as passionate about coon hounds as you are, you know, it, it just takes the wind out of your sails in a good way, in a good way. Yeah. Well, they had a parade, you know, of all the dogs when that, as you say, the house lights go down and the spotlight comes on and they come through that tunnel and they gate them all the way around the ring. Very, very impressive sight. Yeah, it is. I gotta, I gotta put you on the spot though. Okay. And I don't, I don't want you to fear of hurting anybody's feelings or anything like that. I want to know of the seven breeds, in the top 10 bench show at Winter Classic, which breed do you feel like had the best quality? Overall. Overall. If you had to pick one breed, timer's going. Mm. <laughs> mm. That's a tough question. Well, I hadn't even thought about that in retrospect because I thought, I, I will say this, and I, I wanted to make this point with you. We were each given the opportunity to use our own scoring system, kind of a scale type thing. Sure. You know, if we weren't, it wasn't the old 100 points, 15 for head, or, or you know, whatever it was. I can't even remember it now, but feet and <laughs> legs were the big, were the heavyweights, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so No, we were only asked to devise a scoring scale like that would show the range, you know, which the better, the better dogs in the class would be up, uh, you know, at the top, the average dogs would be in the middle and the below average below. So you could have like a kind of a, 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 a floating scale there to judge sure. these dogs. That's yeah. the way I understood it, and mm-hmm. that's what I did. And I was kind of gratified when the top seven were announced 
after the judging had been tabulated. Right down the line there, the first five, I had as my number one dog. Oh, wow. You know, and I guess that's revealing a little bit the way I voted. So I'll probably, <laughs> but, you know, that showed me that the three judges were compatible. We were seeing basically the same thing in in these dogs, you know. Oh, man, you, you really put me on the spot. Uh, You're dead. I, yeah, because there were truly outstanding individuals in each breed. Truly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there always is going to be at that, at that caliber of an event, but yeah. I'm but asking down you. through the, <laughs> down through the ranks, you know, it probably fell off less in the Walker breed. Yeah. Down from, from the top to the bottom overall was a tremendous class of dogs. Uh, there's there's some dogs that just are such outstanding individuals. They're going to rise to the top of their breed rather quickly. Yep. And I I think you know the dog that won overall uh, was the red bone dog of uh, of Andy Elburn's. The dog has been proven you know many times to be a top winner. Uh, Red bone hounds are so beautiful. I mean, uh, and uh, and the ones the red bones in this competition had really good color, mm-hmm. and all. There was a dog that kind of surprised me, and sur- I think surprised everyone. And I don't, I can't remember the names. I don't, I didn't know half the names of these dogs. Some of the handlers I knew, and some of them I did, but the leopard dog. He was not the typical Merle leopard color. He sure. had that Merle markings around his head. Otherwise, he was a, he was just kind of a, it would be close to what we in the property would call a buckskin colored dog, but yeah. he was all dog. I mean, he was looked like he chiseled him out of a that was, block uh, of wood. That was what Chuck, was that? Chuck Slatery. Chuck yeah. Slatery yeah. and that, uh, Mr. Moose. Mr. Moose. Well, he he wasn't the typical leopard color, except as I said, he had uh, that some of that merle uh, pattern around his head and neck. He was a nice dog. Of course, Dave and Kelly Myers always come to a show, you know, more than prepared. And of course, that blue dog of theirs, which is a black and tan, by the way, mm-hmm. it was amazing as usual. And a and, world show uh, champion to boot. Yeah, think yeah. about that, you know. And uh, and of course, Whitney Killo from Arkansas. She always has outstanding dogs, well prepared. And she she showed a blue male that I thought was just absolutely magnificent. Yeah, uh, you know, you know, time. it's it's interesting when you bring up Whitney specifically because, you know, I know I know that uh, uh, I believe it, you were judging the finals of the world show in what year? Twenty sixteen at Greencastle, okay. Indiana, and I had those. T- I had those two handlers there that I've mentioned recently, Dave, 
Dave Myers and and Whitney were my were my final picks. I mean, yeah. they were, you know, and and uh, and I, I I recall that day giving the nod to the blue female. Of yeah, Whitney's. I, I, I just, can. I, I remember. There's just that. a lot of dog there. When yeah. you look at one of her dogs, it's all dog. I mean, it's all there. You know. It's not, sometimes you see dogs that are, uh, Scarlett brought this up, I think, when she picked, uh, I guess it was uh, Best Female, or Best best Male Show for uh, the Woodward there from Virginia. And she talked about balance, you know. And, And you see so many of these dogs that their front end, they're like awesome. They taper off to the back end. They don't have enough, you know, to me, the motor's in the rear end on the dog. That's where all the power comes from. That's where the drive comes from. That's where the strength comes from. People that, and I don't mean to get off on all this, but if they watched me judge a show they'll or any show, they'll see me doing a, a measurement, not with a, a device, but of the depth of a dog's chest. Mm -hmm. To me, it's important that the dog has depth and and typically that chest should descend to the elbow of that hound. I I don't want to see a gap between that dog's elbow and the bottom of its chest. Sure. I like that chest to come, come down. Some people think of a, you know, wide, big, wide chest. No, you want depth. Mm-hmm. But anyway, this is not a judging seminar. But I noticed <laughs> a lot of these, a lot of these dogs, you know, were just. Well, yeah. you know, um, speaking to Whitney specifically, um, I think one thing that's unique about Whitney and a lot of the dogs that she brings to the table and 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 brings to the ring, um, she's had a lot of impact on her breed. And, um, you know, obviously there are a lot of people that have impacts on their breed. Um, but you want to talk about a girl who's got the sense for breeding quality dogs. I mean, you, you just can't argue with the results that, that these rock and W blue ticks are putting out there. I mean, it's, it's insane. Well, that is, and that's what's so impressive is you see the results of these breeding programs, you know, and uh, and the names. And what I'm, you know, I'll probably get some hate mail for not mentioning this one or that one, but I sure. probably won't. But I, I won't. As long as you get it and I don't, then we're good. <laughs> but there's one thing constant and all that I won't care. But <laughs> no, but I, I, you know, I, it's a dog show and it's an opinion. But it should be an educated opinion. Sure. You know, and, but for an old guy that's been around Coonhound as, as long as I have, it was an extreme pleasure to judge yeah. those dogs. Well, and, and, I, uh, and I, I want to say too, Steve, and, and I just wanted to say thank you to, to not only you, but to Amber and Scarlett as well. It takes quality judges to preserve quality in our breeds and when we see a a lineup of judges like what we saw this weekend going into an event that's being advertised well prior to the event we can take courage in the fact that 
we know the best dog's going to win. And we know that the, the, the best attributes in every breed are going to be considered and they're going to be rewarded. So thank you for being a quality judge. And, um, and, and just thank you for what you're able to do, even in this, this particular aspect of our sport. Well, you know, to me, when I went to PKC, my, the main reason I was hired there was to start a bench show program for coonhounds, uh, utilizing cash prizes like the night hunts. And I used to get some, some pushback from some of the hunters. Why are you wasting this money on show dogs, you know? But to me, it's the total package. It's, you know, I was thinking about this a little bit when you told me that you'd kind of like to explore the, the, the winter classic and all. I can look back when I first went to UKC and I went to Autumn Oaks and sat behind the mic of my first Autumn Oaks and see Raymond La or Junior Lassiter, uh, Robert Means, uh, Sheila Hicks, uh, Charlie Botkins, um, and then on down through, you know, Scott Houston and, and uh, the White River Rick dogs and Little Walnut Tammy with Alan Nelson and absolutely phenomenal dogs. Lee Kearns is Kentucky Rowdy and, mm -hmm. and the other good, Lee's always had great dogs. In fact, Lee was there showing a new male that he got from Megan Perez and and won the Walker breed in oh, the that's uh, great. in the registered show. And and Lee is I think eighty three now. I'm not Holy sure. smokes. But uh, but anyway, I've always had the appreciation for these great looking dogs. And many of the dogs that I mentioned owned by these guys like Junior Lasseter, for instance, or Lee and and uh, the Fender River Nighthawk dog that uh, 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 Sears, Dan Sears had, Ryan's dad and all. These dogs were night hunt dogs. Yeah. These dogs were coon dogs, you know. And so anyway, I, I think they've all, it's always been joined at the hip for me. You right. know, I, mm -hmm. and I don't want the old saying back in the hills is you don't want to have to back up to the dog with the feed pan. You know, you want to be able when you go out to feed that dog, stand there a while and look at it and say, that's a nice looking hat. Yeah. <coughs> so, but anyway, it was a real, it was a real trip and I enjoyed very, very much. So the rest and, of your trip, the rest of your trip, let's talk about that. Where did you, where did you stay? What did you do? Any? Well, first of all, no trip anywhere in the coon dog world for me is uh, going to be uh, without a visit to Sterrett, Alabama. Okay. And that's the home of my buddy, Nubbin Moore. In fact, right before we got ready to uh, uh, record here, he called me. And, and uh, Nubbin and I go back to my UKC days when he was a field rep. Okay. And that's when I first met Nubbin. And there's a lot of funny Nubbin stories, and I've had him on online. 
uh, on the podcast before to talk about some of them. He was the only guy that kept the final cast out to about nine o'clock in the morning uh, for, at the world hunt. He said, well, you told me to bring in a, a world champion. So he said, I just stayed out there till we got one. No. We had a, they had a, a deal where he just, you know, kind of keep turning the dog loose. <laughs> that was in Murfreesboro, uh, Tennessee. That's when, uh, the dog of Eddie Parker's one, and I forget what that dog's name is. But, but no, nobody and I go back a long way, and so it, it makes it real convenient for me to go up to his place and spend the night, and then it's about a four-hour drive on over to Batesville. And we make that drive every year in, in late uh, November to go to the White River Refuge. We go right through Batesville on our way over to the refuge so it's a bucket list uh, area i i need yeah. to go hunt i really i want to hit uh i want to hit the white river refuge and i want to hit um you know land between the lakes that's yep. those are two of my bucket list yeah land between the lakes is good it's a little more hilly yeah you know than there but it's, uh, it's my figure iconic could, area my figure could probably uh improve with a few more hills let's just put it that way <laughs> uh, me too I'm, i used to run up and down those west virginia hills now i just look at them and shake my head yeah <laughs> i don't blame you <laughs> right but anyway what nubbin and i did i left home here in florida central florida on the coast west coast uh about six o'clock six thirty on wednesday morning it takes at least 10 hours to drive up to Nubbins from here. And so uh, I overnighted there. We got up uh, pretty early, 6.30 or so, and, and drove over to uh, to Batesville. Uh, now, we stay at the John Kyle State Park out on Sardis Lake. It's just north. Uh, what we do is we take the interstate just north of Batesville, up there to Sardis exit. If you go one more exit, you go to the famous Como Steakhouse. Oh, Did you do Como. that? While you were there? <laughs> <laughs> that was a favorite eatery of uh, of the UKC staff back in the day. I guarantee you, it is amazing. They prepare a steak that is just well. You just gotta you just gotta be there. Oh and, yeah. Uh, the the server that we had, she says, you want an appetizer? And I knew what was coming, that football-sized baked potato. Oh, and, boy. Uh, and all that. But I said, yeah, let's try the mushrooms. Good so, choice. Okay, so I love food. And a lot of people that know me know I love food. So I'm going to tell a quick story. Um, when During my time at UKC, um, you know, obviously I went down to work at the winter classic event plenty of times. And there was one year that we went down there and uh, I don't know what was, I don't know what, what was the problem was, but we were kind of sick of, we were trying to not sick of, but we were trying to look for new opportunities as far as it came to food. Yeah. And, um, and one of the girls that worked for UKC at the time, she she looked up on her phone. I I I really love catfish. I love eating any kind of oh, fish. Yeah. yeah. So the one of the girls that worked worked at UKC at that time was looking up on her phone like a seafood restaurant, you know, and mm -hmm. and she found this place and I can't remember the name of it and I wish I did. 
but uh, it, it was the equivalent of like a Mama Jane's kind of, you know, name, you know, it just had okay. Mama in it or something. But anyways, so we drive all the way back into the BFE to find this restaurant. And here it's just the lady's house. And she's yeah. cooking inside of her house. She's got her, the whole bottom story of her house is converted into a makeshift restaurant and she's making catfish and that's pretty much all she's doing. <laughs> and we walk in there and I'll tell you what, like it was one of the weirdest experiences of my life, but it was one of the most amazing experiences at the same time because that old lady could cook. Because Mama knows how to fry those catfish, right? Exactly. <laughs> and that's all I got to say about Mississippi well, catfish. <laughs> it was funny. I, I Talking about Nubbin Moore back in the days when he was a field rep, we were at um, South Boston, Virginia okay. for the UKC World Championship. It was the day, year that uh, Nelson won it with the Black Dog Buck 2, Northern Buck 2. All right. And uh, Jeff Nelson. And uh, Nubbin, being the character that he is, had somebody said, we we were going down to a buffet restaurant there, and it was quite good and all. But we asked Nubbin, where do you want to eat tonight? And he said, let's go down there at Mom and M's. Okay, everything was mom and M's. And I found out that that is a common saying in certain parts of the South. In fact, uh, country singer Scotty McCreary, McCreary uh, does a song about that, about a water tower town or something. He said, oh, everybody, okay. everybody knows your mom and M. Ah, it's like mom and them, but they, of course. <laughs> you know. So all that whole weekend, it seemed like with those guys, I had fifteen reps at that time, and they were all clowns. And you know, all weekend long, it's where you where we going to mom and them's. So you went to mom and them's and didn't really know it, apparently. And if anybody <laughs> knows the name of that restaurant, please call in. Let us know. I'll be down there next Tuesday. Yeah. Well, I was talking to somebody the other day, may have been on this podcast, and he talked about they'd taken a trip, and every night they took them out to eat, and it was catfish. He said, <laughs> I think it was Jim Meeks was talking about that. But that was a big, big treat at Aurora, Kentucky, okay. at the Willow Pond Restaurant just outside the Ken Lake State Park. And you went in there for catfish, and that was a real popular watering hole. Yeah. And it's interesting, they, when you first sat down for an appetizer, everybody got a bowl of white beans and Ooh. onion. Yeah. A bowl of white beans, onion, and hush puppies. That Ooh. was an appetizer for everybody. It was phenomenal. Oh, and, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could talk about food all night. You want to? I'm good. Well, I'm getting a little hungry doing that, so maybe uh, we switch uh, gears. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I don't know how long we've been at this here. Uh, 54 minutes already, if you can believe that, uh, Corey. Hey, I want to uh, – well, again, you, you asked me about the other aspects of the trip. I went to Nubbins 
we had a great time out at our cabin. We went out. We stayed uh, Thursday and Friday nights. We like to go out there. We always take our own firewood and build a nice fire. And, and the cabins there at John Kyle Park are, are just perfect for that sort of thing, although I do notice that they're beginning to get a little worn. Okay. I think they need to do a little sprucing up on the cabins a little bit. They're clean, and I noticed they'd replace the mattresses and so forth, and that that's all good. And I have nothing really, uh, but I can. You can just tell they're getting a little worn around the edges. But it's secluded. Uh, several coon hunters stay out there, but it's a quiet place. It's only about ten miles out of Batesville. And so, and it's cheap, uh, you know, cheaper than a motel. So we, that's what we did. Um, uh, and, uh, just enjoyed visiting. I took the, uh, uh, tent and the table and, and the signage and all, and we had a booth there and Alan did me a solid on that. I was set up right by the stairs going up the stage, right in the main arena. So we had a great location. Lots of folks came by. And in fact, the week before this podcast is, is airing, the, our previous week, uh, you know, I ran the, the uh, interviews. And I think there were like eight separate interviews that I did at the Winter Classic this year. So it was a lot of fun. Got to meet some of the people that, uh, you know, participate in our Wheel of Name spins during the week and all. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. And got to meet some kids and, uh, and also, yeah, it was good. I, I don't, hadn't been in the last probably three or four years. So I don't know what to compare it to as far as recent, uh, winter classics, but I thought the crowds were good. Uh, everybody was, you know, in a good mood and, uh, that always makes it better. Oh Yeah. And I got to have my picture taken with Jackson Cable. Oh, now, yeah. That Jackson was a Cable yeah. is the man. Oh, yeah. He is the man. He's Angie <laughs> and Kevin Cable's son. I don't know how old Jackson is. Is he six or seven or something? Somewhere in know. that ballpark. Yeah. He handled a dog in the show and, and all, but. Yeah, he's just one of the many Coonhound kids that are coming up that they're going to be in charge of this thing one of these days. I know. Oh, that. yeah. 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 Well, Corey, I think his whole voice is about to give out on me. Uh, I don't know. Was there anything about the Winter Classic that you wanted to know that uh, – Maybe I could share with you. That's about all I know. The hunt part, uh, I know that it rained pretty hard Saturday night. Uh, Friday night, maybe off and on. There were some pretty good scores came in on Friday night. The slams drew really well. Uh, They had a slam, I think, on Wednesday and Thursday night. And then they had one of these new ones, one of these, I don't know what they're calling those, super slams or something. This yeah, new program like with the bigger money. Right. So uh, I 
I know a dog that my buddy, I have two buddies named Randy Smith, one in Mississippi and one in Pennsylvania. And Randy in Mississippi is a black dog man. And uh, he sold a dog called Gaucho. And I think Gaucho ended up being second overall this year at the Winter Classic. And I believe the winner was a walker dog, but I don't have it. You might have that information for it, but I, I really don't. Um, I can have it here in just a second, actually. Of course you can. Yeah. <laughs> the marvels of modern technology. That's right. Um, That's right. The overall winner was uh, a treeing walker male out of out the state of Alabama named night champion Wade's Lockdown Playboy. Well, there you go. Well, Playboy had played uh, significantly. Yeah, <laughs> this this year. So that's that's cool. Well, I think they do a, a Sunday morning presentation. It's earlier than the Autumn Oaks, don't they? I mean, don't they give the awards away on? Or is that just for the Saturday night hunt, or do they do the? No, both I nights. think I think they do both nights on Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I was back in Alabama, sweet home Alabama, probably on the road to Florida when that happened. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I I logged about fifteen, little old, well, about fifteen hundred miles on my trip from Florida up there. So it's no, you know, little walk in the park to go to the winter classic but it was well worth it the old ford turned over two hundred eighty thousand miles on that trip Foo, buddy. So, yeah <laughs> people wonder why i still drive that truck well i bought it the year i retired and i said i was going to drive it till the wheels fell off and they haven't fallen off yet so yeah there you go yeah it's been a great truck uh well but that's about it uh I will say I want to thank our our sponsors, uh, W Hunting Supply. I don't say enough about them on this podcast. They make this entirely possible for me to do this each week, and I, I big thank you to them. And you won't find better customer service anywhere. There's a lot of great companies out there serving the coon hunters, and I can start naming them uh, right now. And there's a lot of them. But one definitely is the W Hunting Supply, and uh, they they've got everything you need for yourself or your dogs, and especially in the field of uh, electronics and the service that you need to keep that gear going. So I uh, really want to thank them. Want to thank my buddy Big Mark Zep, uh, Zep Coon Squallers. He uh, makes our weekly spins possible our wheel and name spins and want to thank big Mark as always, but what you got to say, Corey, before we shut this thing down, I don't have much to say, but I will say I thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure to get on here and ramble with you. Even (laughs) that's what we do. (laughs) Yeah. We're good. We're good at filling the airwaves people. Let me tell you. Um, but yeah, just, I want to thank you again for your participation with making the winter classic a spectacular event. Um, you know, that, that's an event that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I always love going to that event. UKC does such a good job with it. And I know you played a big part 
and helping get that event started. And that could be a whole nother podcast, people. But Well, I, I cannot tell you the butterflies that I had that first Winter Classic wondering if anybody would show up. You well, know, they did. They did. But they definitely <laughs> did. And it continued to build. And it's been also one of my favorites down through the years. Yeah. And one of the greatest things about it was for many years is I would go a few days early and go over and hunt with my good dear friend, Johnny Brinkley, and with Lee Kearns, with David McKee and those guys. And we always had a great time on Winter Classic Week there in Georgia. But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Corey, we when we talked about this podcast, we were going to talk some about training. And I really want to do that the next time we get together. And it, it doesn't have to be a long time from now. I I get a lot, always get a lot of mail from hunters that have questions. They're trying to solve problems with their dogs. Uh, I tried a little bit a couple of podcasts ago to talk about how I start pups. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's not rocket science. It's just common sense, basically. St- always, always starts with a good bred puppy. Uh, genetics is number one. But I want to expand on that. I want to do more of that sort of thing. With the new opportunities that we're going to have with this podcast that I'm, I'm being told about now through sponsorship and other avenues, we want to do a better job than we've done in the past. And I'm so grateful. You know, we had, golly, if I told you the numbers, it was upward of 150,000 downloads that we had on this podcast last year, which is a lot. Congratulations. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. And I remember when I did my first podcast ever and talked to the network guys and said, well, how many you know, downloads can we expect? He said, oh, 150, 200 would be real good. So hey, things have come a couple Blew that out of the water. <laughs> but it's not about the numbers. It's about people enjoying the time they spend here. And uh, we want to, we're going to be on this Monday morning slot that we've been for, for so long. And uh, that's the one thing I've tried to hold on to because, uh, it's just good to – I used to listen to a guy named Don Imus on the radio. Some people heard of him before. Uh, he To me, he was very funny. I liked the format he had of his radio show. And he was in New York, of course, and then he would do uh, broadcasts from out in New Mexico from a ranch. Loved that show. Looked forward to it every every day, basically. And so that's what I want to do with this podcast is people have a place that they can come to and feel comfortable and enjoy the conversation and maybe, uh, you know, write in with a question or a suggestion or whatever. But I, guys, you don't know how much I appreciate the, uh, the response that I get to this show. And it's, uh, uh, you know, here's Marty Burleson, a guy that I'd never met before, but I saw his name coming up on these wheel of spins. And I met him and his wife at the Winter Classic, and they came by, and I recorded a short session with him. 
And he says, good afternoon, Steve. Hope you're enjoying the Florida sunshine. We thoroughly enjoyed visiting with you and Nubbin at the Winter Classic. You know, just those little tidbit snippets like that mean more than you can ever imagine. And just to know that, you know, somehow made somebody's day a little bit brighter. You know, that it's it's well worth it to me. So anyway. Corey Groover from Greenville, Pennsylvania, converted plot man. We didn't talk about your plot. Oh, my gosh. I almost forgot I had one. No. <laughs> no. Well, we'll do that next time. Folks, I promise you I'll bring Corey back on. My voice is about shot. <laughs> yeah. I think I talked too much at the Winter Classic. But uh, it's been uh, great visiting with you again this week. And, Corey, you got anything to say? And a parting shot thanks for listening everybody I'll echo that for sure and if anybody asks you where's Steve Fielder these days tell him I don't know where he is and neither does he but I got to tell you it has something to do with dogs he's gone to the dogs that was weak okay folks we'll see you next time 